0: guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, I told myself I needed to have a conversation about running back value that would not suck. And so there's like four people in the world I trust to have that conversation. And of course, one of those people is my friend, Mina Kimes, who is here to talk about that and other stuff related to the NFL. Mina, first, how are you?
1: I'm good. Now I'm just wondering who the other 3 people are.
0: <laughs> yeah, you don't want to <laughs> them. I, Dominique Dominique is yeah. up there. Uh yeah, keep it keep it vague. You don't want people to be insulted. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to say like uh, it might it might be a shorter list. It might not, it might only be 3 people. Uh but first question for you Mina. Obviously, we're all excited. Congratulations. We're so happy for your pregnancy. Were you happier about the Seahawks retro jerseys?
1: I thought you were going to set that up as a fake out and congratulate me on the
0: jerseys. So I was preparing for that. No, no, (laughs) straight up, straight up question.
1: Well, I was relieved because, um, they had been speculated about for a while. Quandre Diggs, who's a great follow on Twitter, the Seahawks safety had been teasing this now for like two years, honestly. Um, and I had seen like a little piece of art that had a gradient that made me nervous. And, you know, just so often we've seen teams mess up jerseys, frankly, um, hashtag Indiana Knights. But, uh, when they came out, I was just like, oh my God, these are perfect. And it wasn't just the, you know, that they adhered pretty closely to the the uh, throwbacks but the little details like the the, you know the helmet with the the blue face mask and the gray, just everything just looked perfect um these are definitely the best jerseys definitely the seahawks jerseys i've seen in a really long time
0: would you support these being the full-time jerseys
1: uh bill you know i'm very superstitious so it really comes down to whether or not they win in (laughs) the (laughs) wolf gray is gone i saw that yeah
0: were you surprised neon green did not get kicked out it feels
1: like you know taking out wolf gray and leaving neon green is kind of like arresting the wrong perp like i can't believe (laughs) neon green is still in action green it's actually called action green by the way
0: sorry excuse me right
1: yeah
0: which uh well i'm not i'm not a professional like you which um which seahawks player to you best represents action green. If you think action green, what one player comes to mind for you as the action green era representative?
1: Well, I, for some reason, Tyler Lockett has like several unbelievable tiptoe, toe tap touchdowns in action green. Mm-hmm. So much so that once I had to paint one of them, it was a request and I had to like, it was I filled with disgust, replicate the uh, Garnier Fructis color green. <laughs> so i do think of tyler with those um but you know it's fine it's it's just embarrassing because they wear them nationally and it's like mm-hmm. you know it's like your significant other finally meeting all your friends and you're like oh god you wore that oh, oh no. god jeez did you get 18, oh, no. you know yeah door flip flops that's how it feels when they were actually you you
0: were you're were, you were trying to dress the seahawks at home it's before like, oh, the game
1: God, just anything but that you know hide it in their closet mm-hmm.
0: Make them put a sweater on before the jerseys before the game starts.
1: Anyways, I'm excited for the throwbacks.
0: I like them. The throwbacks are so good. good. The video was good. The website was good. It was such an incredible performance. Absolutely one of the peaks of the offseason for (laughs) me. Uh, it feels like other teams, like like if you're the Colts and you know you're running out Indiana Ooh. Knights the next day, you just have to feel so defeated.
1: Yeah, I know. It's like when all, like the schedule release comes out and like you know like the Titans do something awesome, the Chargers do the thing, and I don't know what I'm not going to name a team, but you're just like ah oh, crap, we just did <laughs> like some clip art. God damn it.
0: Anyways, Mark Davis posts posts uh, just a, a still image. Um, that would be funny though. Media. That would be
1: good. I'd like that. Anyways.
0: I assume Mark Davis is mostly responsible for Raiders social media, Um, but this is unrelated to the topic we are supposed to talk about today. Mina, let's have a running back conversation that is not terrible because we've had a little bit of this conversation, of course, off the air. We've had it on NFL Live. You've had it on various platforms. We've talked about this before. This is not a new thing, but I don't know about you, but at least from my perspective, it feels like this feels more significant this stretch of the offseason where you have those four running backs who are free agents and the three running backs and saquon barkley josh jacobs and tony pollard none of whom signed long-term extensions. so i'll just start there i mean do you feel like public perception is different than it's been in the past or do you think the situation itself is actually different than it was in the past
1: yeah i think it's a few things i think um to have this kind of confluence of stars not get deals done is the kind of precipitating factor behind this becoming like a big story, right? That and the fact that those stars and and other running backs like Chris McCaffrey and whatever weighing in on social media are talking about it. But I think um, this offseason to have the rushing leader and Josh Jacobs And then Saquon Barkley, who's the face of one of the more popular teams in the NFL. Um, Mm -hmm. Those two players in particular, to have them not even get like Derrick Henry, Nick Chubb style contracts, which were both about two years, 12-ish million dollars, right? Which I think is kind of what you and I maybe thought was how this was going to end. I don't know. To not arrive at any resolution, I think just really made people pay attention to it um this is something that we've noticed i've written i I actually did a column about it in 2017 i just pulled up Mm -hmm. um where it's really like the same stuff honestly like i talked about a lot of the same stuff i've been talking about as far as like the structural the reasons why and then some of the structural unique structural challenges that um running backs face because of the cba and the draft and we can talk about all of that so but none of this is new i think it's just the fact that like two stars became kind of the face of it and then talked about it has got people um not just i wouldn't say like worked up about it but like interested in why it's happening for more so than it's been in the past
0: yeah and and it it feels like you said it's becoming this sort of position-wide concern, which doesn't really happen in other sports. You know, like, there have been times like, you know, when Moneyball happened, Moneyball came out, like, first basemen who were okay hitters were marginalized. But nobody, there was no talk of a first baseman union. You know, when the NBA went to you know, uh, more 3 and D players and went smaller, it wasn't like centers were like, we have to hold out, uh, you know, en masse. But it feels like there's more of a realization from the entire position, whether it's players coming up, whether it's players at their peak, whether it is these players who are in the prime of their careers, who are like, yeah, this is a problem and it's not going anywhere. And I think when you look at the data for this, this is, this is an issue that's been going on now for 15 years. Like it really stretches back to um, 2010 or so.
1: And I think, you know, you talk about other sport, like positions fall in and out of favor, right? In sports and that, that's just sort of a dynamic of, I mean, it's just, there's no, I, I got into a stupid argument with someone about, cause they were like, there's a conspiracy. I'm like, no, nah, there's not like, you know, it's just, it's like uh, somebody got mad at um, me for posting data. It was from um, uh, Timo risk. I think is his name at uh, PFF. Anyway, it's mm-hmm. basically showing how running backs um, peak in production earlier in the career, dramatically relative to other mm-hmm. positions. Right. And somebody was like, oh, Dad, I, like, can't believe you're posting this. I'm like, I don't know. It's like being mad at a weatherman for pointing out climate change is happening. Like, it's just happening. Like, it's just the football's changing, okay? But where I think there's a unique moral component to this and where I think um, it becomes worth trying to find solves as opposed to just acknowledging kind of the realities of the position and the salary cap mm-hmm. are when you recognize not only, you know, our running backs obviously – fun and cool to watch and think things why people care yes, exactly. there's that aspect of it also but um you know it's a dangerous position and it's because mm-hmm. and, and this is something i've talked about a bit because uh football in football in the nfl it takes so long for players to get paid for their work or to access mm-hmm. the free market rather um It's unique in that this position where you peak really, really early and you succumb your body to a lot of physical punishment, you're unlikely Mm -hmm. to benefit financially now more than ever from all of the work you do early on. And that's what I think makes this unique, Bill, as opposed to like saying, well, you know, like the NBA centers got paid less or whatever, you know, like this is, Mm -hmm. this is different. Like there's, there's something very unique about watching a running back who you know, is so impactful in college and maybe his first two years in the NFL and then never get really paid. I think it's, it's, it's something very different from other positions in other sports.
0: I agree wholeheartedly. And even on top of that, even beyond the physical toll being paid uh, with these players, it's that their careers, which we knew from years past were already projected to be short. NFL careers are shorter than careers in most other sports. You go past that, you have players now who are, you know, at ages where in the past we would have been considered in their prime of their careers. Yeah. I mean, think about the guys who are free agents right now. Ezekiel Elliott, um, Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, and Dalvin Cook. Those guys are all 27 or 28 years old. Crazy. I mean, they're not in their 30s. They're not... Uh, you know, at a point in their careers where aging curves would typically say, "Oh, this is they're they're past their point. They've already made their money. They're already, you know, they, they've endured the workload of playing in the NFL for a decade." These are guys who aren't even through their second contract, and they're not the only ones. I mean, Todd Gurley, of course, is the classic example where he went from being offensive player of the year to basically out of football in in two three years. It's I, I don't know about you, and maybe this is just a small sample, but it certainly feels like that impact of of playing football and and the, the wear and tear of being a running back in the NFL, even with fewer carries, even with shorter, lesser workloads than lead backs have had in the past, it feels like that's accelerating. It feels like these, these backs are having shorter careers now, and I, I think it can be tough to sort of extricate whether that's a product of the game being more physical or teams just being more aggressive to move on from those backs when they show any sign of slipping.
1: I think it's more of the latter, coupled with the game itself changing, right? Um, you know, I mean, it's, there's a few things. There's um, obviously it's the, the emphasis on the pass Over the last decade, teams realizing that they can... Uh, recognizing, rather, the... Value of a committee approach as opposed to a bell cow back carrying the ball 300 plus times. I don't know how many guys did that. Maybe like two or three last year. Sir Jacobs mm-hmm. off the top of my head, obviously. Um, so, you know, there's all, there's that. And then I think teams just really are aware of the fact that they can get similar production a lot cheaper. And mm-hmm. it's, you know like like dalvin cook is a really you you brought up dalvin cook i think both you and i were not particularly surprised when minnesota decided to move on and i think the fact that they weren't able to get any trade for him was pretty indicative of how he was viewed around the league we'll see what kind of contract he signs for you know in free agency mm-hmm. but um this was not like a outlier opinion that it made sense for them to move on and and i think like as analysts who try to evaluate teams moves based on what they're doing within the constraints of a salary cap and how they're optimizing their roster on one hand, we're like, this is the, we get it. This is, this makes football sense Um, while also recognizing the, you know, um, sort of what you alluded to earlier, which is the net results of that logic and aware, like a logic awareness, um, paying attention to changing dynamics of football is resulting in these shorter careers and, and, and the fewer second
0: contracts. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better with the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit style pizza in the country. There is no, competition and right now get five dollars off any eight corner pizza with code eight save that's the number eight s-a-v-e go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a jets pizza location near you again try jet signature eight corner pizza and get five dollars off with code eight save that's number eight s-a-v-e jets pizza better because it has to be I mean, we can point to the evidence, and there's plenty of data. You can look at the teams that have won the Super Bowl, and so few of them, really stretching back to the Marshawn Lynch Seahawks being an exception. Um, so few of them have been teams with expensive running yeah. backs, or you know, backs. The teams that have committed significant capital to running backs have not generally been teams that have won. But I, I guess I wonder, you know, and two players come to mind for me as examples that maybe. We're not capturing the full impact of running backs on NFL offenses, and it's Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry, because there are two situations. You go back a couple years ago um, to the second half of the Tennessee season where Derrick Henry was out, and even though they were the one seed in the NFL, that offense cratered without Derrick Henry over the second half of that season. Maybe cratered was the wrong
1: well, one. Well, they ran the ball pretty well without him, if I remember
0: correctly. Right. They did. Deontay Foreman was good, and Deontay Forman was good last year, replacing Christian McCaffrey, but you know, their play-action game slipped. And I know we have the research from our friend Ben Baldwin about play-action and, um, you know, about how you don't need to run it. That it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of runner it is. Uh, you know, a lot of evidence saying that the act of play-action is more important than the things that lead up to that particular act. And I believe that. I think there's a lot of evidence for that. But then you go back to last year and Christian McCaffrey and you tweeted out the numbers for the Niners yeah. before and after they added Christian McCaffrey. And not only was it staggering, the difference, they went from being one of the worst offenses in football to, I believe, number two or number one in EPA per play with Christian McCaffrey in the mix. But I went, and for my column today, which is the stupidest thing in the world, like a butterfly effect for last year, (laughs) um, I went and looked at the the splits for Christian McCaffrey on off the field, tried to eliminate the the situations where... You know, Each team had uh, at least a 20% chance of win probability because they didn't want to have situations where the Niners weren't really trying to score. They were still number one in the NFL by a wide margin with McCaffrey on the field, over two-thirds of the snaps, 16th in the NFL in EPA per play without McCaffrey on the field. And that backs up what we see, right? Like, McCaffrey yeah. was awesome in that offense last year. And so I, I guess my question is, like, you know, do you think there's an opportunity or maybe some kind of, mm-hmm. of of you know undersold element of how really effective running backs factor into the effectiveness of an offense, even if it's not necessarily borne out in strict yards per carry or or sort of the raw rushing numbers?
1: Yeah, you know, it's funny, with the rushing discussion, I think there's two separate questions, which is does running matter and do running backs matter, right? Because mm-hmm. I actually felt like last year, and we talked about this a little bit on NFL Live, I did think teams, you know, due to, in response to largely defensive trends that happened in response to the passing trends, um, teams that could run the football really efficiently uh, benefited from it, became more important than I would argue in previous years. In fact, I just posted... A clip. This is what I was laughing before we started, where I talked about how I actually think the Eagles' run defense ended up being a problem. It was certainly a problem in the Super Bowl that they had a very bad success mm-hmm. rate at stopping the run. So you know, just kind of uh, an efficiency basis. And I think maybe it wouldn't have been a problem f- four years ago, but because teams <laughs> like Kansas City were like, "Oh, we're going to learn. We're going to we're going to run the football. Oh, you're going to let us run the football. Okay, we're going to run the football. Right." Um so anyways that 's a long winded way of saying. I was laughing by the way, because um an Eagles fan quote tweeted it and said it won 't matter when all the running backs go on strike that 's <laughs> um, oh, no. extremely base take I love it um no, but i think so i think i I guess I want to start by saying I think running still matters, and I actually think it 's kind of on the upswing of mattering a little bit more um, mm-hmm. but as far as whether like individual backs matter. I really think it's so offense-specific. I mean, with the Niners, for example, I would contend that McCaffrey mattered more to their passing game than their rushing attack. And a big part of the reason why that offense became so efficient after the trade, I think, is because of what he was able to do in terms of being a mismatch weapon for Kyle Shanahan and his very unique scheme. Nick Chubb, I think, is the best running back in the yep. NFL. Right, so it's like, okay, you true. know, at the very, very top end, does a back like that make a difference? I think he does. I think Derrick Henry did. For I'm not so sure at this point, but um, I think that that's a pretty small group of backs, and outside of that, it really is about scheme.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair, and maybe there is a class of back. Maybe there is you know backs who would have got paid 30 years ago who are second tier or third tier backs or maybe they are going to struggle but i think that that's something that people maybe necessarily haven't thought about or haven't really considered is how much the quarterback run game impacts yes takes. and it really number one just factors into the number of carries i, I tweeted this number out and it blows my mind they're you know the 100 100 club for quarterbacks, uh, 100 pass attempts, 100 rush attempts in a season. 1951 to 2001, there were three guys in the entire league over a 50 year span who did that. Last year alone, there were five. Uh, Anthony Richardson is going to be six this year um, if he if he stays healthy for most of the year. Like almost almost a quarter of the league, or about a quarter of the league, depending on how some offenses break out, are going to be offenses that involve the quarterback in their run game. And that includes two of the three sort of tier one analytics groups in the NFL, depending on how you see the Cowboys, who have hired like every single analytics person in the NFL over the past two months. Um, But the Eagles, the Browns and the Ravens, three, the three most analytically friendly teams in the NFL, at least from from where I'm sitting not only do those teams run the ball a fair amount, but two of them have a quarterback who runs the ball extremely efficient efficiently, who is now getting paid in part because of his ability to run the ball efficiently. And so that's going to come from somewhere. Like, like I think if you're building that into your, your sort of what you're paying your quarterback, which a lot of teams are now, not only those teams, but the Bills, of course, are paying Josh Allen for what he can do as a runner. Um, you know, I, I think that's also going to impact things. And I think For those teams, they see the difference makers in their running game as the offensive line. They see it as the quarterback and his gravity and his ability to change the numbers for you up front more so than the identity of the running back, unless you have Nick Chubb, in which case Nick Chubb is the guy who's going to be the difference maker.
1: Yeah, the Eagles are a really fascinating case. And I would say the Eagles versus the Giants as it pertains to this issue, which is the quarterback run and how mm-hmm. it impacts the Russian game and how teams view, um, you know, the, the running back position. Because the Eagles are kind of like the poster child for running backs don't matter, frankly, right? Like they, mm-hmm. uh, that's, I mean, it's funny to me that they constantly get associated, like everyone thought they would draft Bijan. Yes. I think I saw them like tagged, yes. like, like maybe they'll sign Dalbacook. It's like, dude everything this team has done has shown you they care about trench play and they are going to find value at the running back position because they believe they can run the ball regardless. And they're probably right. Mm -hmm. And they have a quarterback who they can use in short yardage. So, uh, so that they, you know, use all four downs. And this is Mm -hmm. the Eagles are on one end of the spectrum. So I think we understand that, but, I seem like the Giants are where I think it kind of gets more dicey and interesting uh, mm-hmm. because they have a quarterback who is also a, a good runner, not maybe
0: That's as good, good, good of a runner.
1: Um, and who they've really Careful. leaned, I know I also what I had to take that he was the best runner in the NFL, that they leaned oh, um, very heavily into that. But watching that offense last year, I was struck by, I think my takeaway, Bill, and I'd be curious to hear, hear your thoughts on this, were that both, I thought Saquon really benefited from the presence of Daniel Jones, and I thought Daniel mm-hmm. Jones really benefited from the presence of Saquon. I think it's a big mm-hmm. part of why um, Jones ranked third in the NFL in yards before contact per carry. I think defenses did not aggressively play him in the run and were uh, more likely to um, try to get him to keep the ball. So I, I I would be very curious to see. okay, you have a defense, you have a quarterback who's like a pretty good runner who I think benefits from the running back. Does it matter who the running back is to you? I don't know if that's, I mean, they're, they're clearly betting that it doesn't or that it won't at some point. Um, I think that's kind of an interesting bet for that team.
0: It is, and and I think there's there's sort of two elements here, right? There's the quarterback scramble game, and the quarterback design run yeah. game, and the Giants did do some quarterback design run, and I think Saquon did make a big difference on that. But I do think Daniel Jones, sort of similar to like like Josh Allen, his first cup, first year or year and a half of the NFL, it was a lot of scramble yards for him, and I I, I would be intrigued to see. Or I guess we can't see because we didn't. We don't know. Maybe we'll see this year if Saquon does hold out. But I'd be intrigued to see how that quarterback run game, the designed run game, if they're running power, if they're running zone read, if they're running, you know, uh, windback, all, all the mm-hmm. stuff you're going to run with your quarterback. I don't think that stuff would work with Matt Breida in yeah. the backfield. I, I don't think there is the same concern because I think teams are comfortable saying, "Hey, we're going to play the quarterback." We saw this a little bit with the Ravens, yep. where teams were very comfortable saying, hey, we're going to take Lamar. We'll take our chances with Mark Ingram or we will take our chances with, oh God, like the 18 million veteran backs. They played that one year where J.K. Dobbins and uh, Gus Edwards got hurt in the mm. preseason and they were like starting Devontae Freeman one week. And, um, you know, that, I think that was a situation where teams were very happy to play. Yeah, um, You know, the, the quarterback and ha- have this running back who's, you know, a guy sign off the street beat them. But what I find so interesting about the scheme question is that, to me, this all goes back to sort of the ultimate example of a running game that was built around a great offensive line, very consistent scheme, effective scheme, and a running back that they were comfortable plugging in, and that was the Denver Broncos with Mike Shanahan. And that was an offense that sort of proved to the NFL... Hey, you know, like like we can plug in Terrell Davis, who's a late round pick. We can plug in Mike Anderson. We can plug in Alandis Gary. We can convince Washington that Clinton Portis is such an incredible running back as a second round pick that we will trade him for Champ Bailey and get a pick in the process. It was a wild time for running backs, and yet you go all the way forward to 2023 and Cal Shanahan, who was on that on, on that staff, who. Was the son of Mike Shanahan? He was was he not on the staff? He was he was the ball boy, but he was there. He was you know pay, paying attention. Certainly, he was there in Washington when it worked. He was there in Houston uh, building an offense around Arian Foster. What did he do this year? He didn't go out and just say we'll plug in anybody. He went out and traded like a first round picks worth of draft capital to get Christian McCaffrey. Like there's this disconnect between I think the public perception of ah you can just plug anybody in there. And I think when you look at the smartest people in the NFL or the people who are perceived to be the smartest people in the NFL when it comes to the running game, it doesn't feel that way. It does feel more specific about even if the results turn out that they can just plug in different people or they get the same results, it feels like from their perspective, it is not that simple by any means.
1: Yeah, I think every coach has a pretty different approach to it, right, depending on Mm -hmm. their system and... Like the Eagles and the Niners are both really smart teams. So, (laughs) you know, when the Niners did that trade bill, I didn't think that it would work out. Frankly, I thought it would be fine. You know, I, I guess I, you know, I was always harbored concerns about McCaffrey and his health. I did not think it would turbocharge their offense the way it did. But again, that that, a lot of that was just like, I didn't think that it would affect the pass game as much as it did. Um, and I've, it sh- I should have thought that because of the things that Shanahan does that make him great and why McCaffrey makes so much sense for them. But I think, like, it, isn't that, like, the perfect example, though, that, like, Christian McCaffrey can leave Carolina and they can actually get better at running the football, but then join the Niners mm-hmm. and then suddenly their offense becomes awesome? Like, it, that to me is, like, yes. the perfect illustrative example of how football is not simple. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's just not. Um I would hope, you know, I hope that um, he has continued success and Bijan and Jameer Gibbs, um, you know, become the sort of, like they always say, like, they're offensive weapons, but they actually are, mm-hmm. that those offenses are able to who which obviously share some DNA, are able to do something similar that returns value to the position because, you know, that would be great.
0: Let's talk about, you mentioned Saquon, let's talk about the three guys who were actually coming up for these franchise deals, and with Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and Tony Pollard. Obviously, different in some ways, similar in some ways in terms of their resumes, I think counted out before a breakout 2022 campaign, Saquon because of injuries, Josh Jacobs seemed like they just didn't like him, Uh, Josh McDaniels and company, from the first moment they got there, he was... Had his fifth year option decline. He was playing with the backups in the Hall of Fame game. Tony Pollard, um, for years, it's felt like football internet has collectively been trying to get him to play ahead of Zeke Elliott. Of course, the running backs coach there came out and said they don't trust him for more than 30 snaps per game or that he's, he declines rapidly after 30 snaps per game. You know, these guys are not your Christian McCaffreys. They're not your Derrick Henrys. They don't have that kind of resume, but. From from the financial perspective, like how much of this do you think is just the the fact that team the, that that uh, these general managers, these teams have a franchise tag available that's significantly less than the top of the market.
1: I think that's a lot of it, right? I mean, it feels like it. Yeah, like everything they do, just knowing that they have that tool at their disposal, and that that tool is uniquely, uh, you can get good value. this position in particular it's devastating something i've been kind of wondering about as a thought experiment is like okay well let's say you did take it away for the running back position Mm -hmm. you know how like how would it would it actually i'd like to hear your thoughts on this incentivize teams to get multi-year deals done with them if they didn't have that leverage let's say Saquon Barkley coming off of a great year, the Giants, there's no option, no tag, nothing. What do you think would have happened?
0: Certainly it feels like the chances of him getting a deal with multiple years of guarantees, meaningful guarantees, goes up significantly. And we've seen that around the NFL over and over again, right? Like when you have a player who gets closer to true unrestricted free agency, and teams have less control over them, the, the price almost invariably goes up if they stay healthy and,
1: and it's, of course, not one tag, which is really important. Like with The Giants, in their calculus for deciding, are we going to pay Saquon Barkley, they are looking at $22 million over two years. That is the alternative. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they offered. I don't know what he turned down. I don't know, you know what to get out of speculation. But that is their leverage <laughs> over him, is that. Yes. And so if you take that away, one would think... You know, that I mean, it, you know, maybe they would th- think, OK, like whatever we'd have to give him in the open market is not worth what we could get similar production out of a rookie, whatever. But at least they'd have to test it. And at least he would have the option of seeing whether another team would find him or find that, like, you know, that uh, a multi-year contract to be worth it.
0: Right, it, it depresses every bit of Saquon's leverage from the moment he signs his first contract. I guess they couldn't have known what the franchise tag was going to be, but from the moment he becomes eligible for an extension to the moment he would theoretically hit unrestricted free agency, it, it, the having that that as a backup plan for the first two years after Saquon's Barkley's contract is yeah. up, which by the way takes him into uh, that, that's the first seven seasons Jeez. of his NFL career. Before he could theoretically, before he realistically, because no team's going to use the third tag on a running back, um, before he could realistically hit unrestricted free agency. And that's longer than most NFL running back careers, let alone you know, long enough for a player to thrive and then go and have a, a big season. And so when, when we think about this, when we talk about... Like, like the math is the math. We can't change the franchise tag values right now. But what do you think? And this is obviously a very broad question, so feel free to go in any direction you want. Like, if you were going to say, "Hey, this is a change that is that makes sense <laughs> to me, that is plausible, that's not just going to apply to running backs," is there anything you think players could push for in the next CBA negotiations that would actually get you know sent through?
1: Well, the, not uni- the unique to running backs thing is kind of a complicating factor because a lot of right. the realistic suggestions are ones that only help the running back position. Like our uh, Dominique um, put out a take today about su- suggesting that running backs get allocated more money from perform- the performance-based pay pool, which is a good idea, but you'd have to, the running players would have to agree to it, right? Or, you know, so if I talk about exemptions or things like that, um, I don't know how realistic it is. I do think all players accessing the draft earlier makes a lot of sense to me. Um I think that there are players and positions that would just not do it. Uh and I don't think that most running backs would be able to enter the NFL and you know with the option to start after a year, but I do think um a lot of the guys who have been drafted in recent years in the first 3 to 4 rounds probably could have entered the draft at least a year earlier. Bijan Robinson mm-hmm. most recently being the example. And maybe by the way, like maybe he's not drafted in the first round and they pick eight, whatever, who knows with the draft. But I do think um, you can look a lot at a lot of the really, really talented backs over the last few years. And I don't think they needed to spend as much time in college as they did.
0: But I agree with you. And I think for a pick a guy who does go in the top 15, I would say for sure, it makes sense to come out, but I wonder if there is a point now with NIL where if you are a third round pick, a fourth round pick, if you project to be a guy who's going in the middle rounds of the NFL draft, you're probably going to make more money, maybe even a lot more money by staying in school than you would be by coming out into the draft. So that's
1: the calculus, right? Which is like, okay, NIL money for one extra year versus accessing free agency a year earlier or getting a year closer to it. That's a tough equation. I mean, it definitely depends on how much NIL these guys are getting. And and by the way, that's really what, I mean, I, I keep emphasizing this. It really starts before college because, you know, running backs still matter a lot in college football. Yes. (laughs) And uh, they are the faces of many of these college teams And so, you know, when we think about where and when they should be making money, a big problem is that not just during their, um, you know, peak years in terms of production, but also in, like, fame and importance, they are not being paid by the schools where they work.
0: I think it's unfair, frankly, to have to make, you know, 19-year-olds have to make that decision about valuing what you're going to be six years down the line based on the whims and vagaries of the NFL salary cap and how other players at your position are going to do. Uh, It just seems like, I don't know, I I was 19. (laughs) I I would not have been able to figure this out. Well, I will say
1: this, but one more thought on that, though. If they did have the option to enter the draft early, it would bump their NIL money. So schools would have to pay them more to get Mm. them to your boosters or whatever, (laughs) to get them to stay. So that would be good.
0: I bet you let go. Maybe there's a possibility for players who make the Pro Bowl or first-team Pro Bowl nods in one of their first two seasons, they get access to signing multi-year deals a year earlier than their peers, because normally it's three years in the league. Maybe that's a solution. Maybe the league changes the way the franchise tag works, and so it's a little more expensive. Maybe there's a pushback there, and that makes that sort of leverage of running backs not having... Um, a franchise tag commensurate with the top of the market makes sense. Maybe that's the solution. But the thing that really concerns me here is that this isn't going away. Like This is going to get worse in the next few years. Really the only running back who feels like he has a significant chance or meaningful chance of topping Christian McCaffrey's deal before Bijan, who has not played a single NFL snap and is – 3 full seasons away from possibly even earning an extension is Jonathan Taylor. And you know, I I would love this Jonathan Taylor get 17-18 million dollars a year. I think he has that kind of ability, but doesn't feel like it's oh. going that way right
1: now. He's about to play with a quarterback who's going to uh replicate a lot of his rushing production as well. I mean, yes. uh this is this cuts to the discussion we're having about Jalen and Daniel and how teams mm-hmm. view the uh the benefits of a rushing quarterback and whether you need a really good running back next to them and uh, it's yeah mm-hmm. yeah it's um i i would be surprised if outside of uh, to me i think that the McCaffrey example is going to be the only one going forward where I think we see big contracts again. Like if Bijan can be that guy that they're talking him up as, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And if he actually is like a total weapon and allows the Falcons to uh, manipulate defenses the way San Francisco has, I could see that potentially working for him. It's just hard for me to Mm -hmm. imagine just like a pure runner getting a gigantic contract again.
0: That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah, I mean... You know, you mentioned the impact of the Chiefs having a guy like Isaiah Pacheco, yeah. where if we saw in the AFC Championship game against the Bengals, like the, the Bengals came out with, a, I think, a four-man front uh, on third and three, and the Chiefs didn't run the ball. When that happened again in 2022, the Chiefs had Isaiah Pacheco, they ran the ball, they got first downs. Isaiah Pacheco was a valuable person for that football team, but he's not, He's not. he's not a terrible receiver by any means, but it's not the strength of his game. Um, The Bills just went out and got Damian Harris, and my theory is that they're emulating or copying the Chiefs, depending on how you want to frame it, and they're going to have more uh, 12 personnel sets this upcoming year, and they're going to be more physical when teams come out and play with super light boxes against Josh Allen and company, and that makes sense, but Damian Harris is not getting paid a lot of money. So when you look at Nick Chubb, who we both agree, we both think is the best pure running back In football, but is a guy who does not figure significantly into the passing game. He is really a throwback pure runner. Do you think he's the last running back like that to get paid top line running back money? Or do you think from this point forward, you have to be someone who is at least a Saquon Barkley level receiver? To justify teams even giving you the franchise tag, I
1: think it's it's just very team specific. I think if you're a team with an okay offensive line but a very good running back, and you have success running the football, and it's sort of what your it's the engine of your offense, and you think that back is young enough to where still get more production out of him, I think a team like that will probably give out more Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb style, style contracts, which are really just like the two-year deals, right? Um, but it has to be the right team. Because like the Eagles, a team, they're like, um, well, the Chiefs are a great example, Bill. Like I know that they really saw a difference with Pacheco running the football from some of the other backs on their roster. But I also believe that mm-hmm. that, that front office probably attributes other uh, success to the fact that they have one of the best interior offensive lines in football, and that's a group that mm-hmm. they've spent. Well, Tooney got a lot of money, and uh, otherwise they've got rookies, but they're probably going to pay those guys a lot of money. That would be my guess, mm-hmm. overpaying a back. Um, so it just yeah. kind of, yeah, I think more often than not, we'll see the money continuing to flow to the offensive line, and, and – and, Um, obviously the skill players although again actually that's the thing that's kind of interesting with with football changing a little bit where like we talked about um, with it becoming a little bit easier to run the football I'll be curious to see the impact that that has on um, you know where teams spend money like whether tight ends finally get paid a little bit more is something that I'm very interested in as well no one's really talking about that but uh, as far as like whether any backs will get big contracts again I think the examples are going to be pretty few and far between
0: yeah i mean um jason from over the cap posted uh about the biggest contracts in the nfl the the top 10 contracts at each position and which ones have risen over the last decade number one is right tackle in terms of just you know it's gone up over 200 uh the players in the top 10 year over year over the past decade guard is number four left tackle is number seven as you might suspect, running back is next to last, even below long snapper mm. in terms of how the market has stayed totally stagnant over the last 10 years. And I think it's going to be a battle. I mean, I think there's going to be people who come out and say, hey, um, sure this guy has great numbers. He's super efficient, but he's running against five-man boxes. Yeah. And so you don't need someone, you know, it's not hard to find someone who can run against five-man boxes. And maybe it isn't. But um, I-, I do feel like you know, we're 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 facing a situation where like the numbers are the numbers, but and and there there's not there, like having some kind of moral compunction to pay players seems unfair because of course everyone should get paid more. You know, guys on mm-hmm. special teams should get paid more, long snappers should get paid more. Um edge rushers should get paid more, punters should get played more. Like I think making the distinction between running back and everybody else is a little unfair, but it does feel like there's more here. It, it does feel like reducing it to you can plug in anybody doesn't do anybody any favors. And I think we're beginning to see at least anecdotal evidence that when you have a special player, it does transform your offense, which is something that teams would say has been the case for 70 years. So, you know, maybe it will change. Maybe running backs will be seen. Maybe some some version of a running back that is more McCaffrey-like or more Austin Eckler-like will be seen as a essential piece of the offense. But like that, that construct in our heads of the, you know, the bruising bell cow 300 plus carry back, it feels like that's gone. I
1: think what's different is just the recognition. Like, I think teams now understand context better than they did before, right? Like you talked about, Okay, the Chiefs are really example of this, by the way. Okay, they know that their running back is running into a lot of light boxes, right? Um, yeah. That affects their perception of value. However, there are also we have access now to metrics showing. The additional production you can get, like like you know, rushing yards over expected, that kind of thing. Which again, like Nick Chubb is another good example because he is a guy who the eye test tells you he's awesome. All the underlying metrics tell you that, not despite the fact, like yes, he's running behind a ridiculously good offensive line, and he still produces above that in terms of the blocking, mm-hmm. running into the eight max, all of it. The Browns are a very analytically driven organization, and. I'm sure they're cognizant of all of this. Like, they know that it's a good situation. They know that you could probably plug in a back there and he would do fine. But they also know that Nick Chubb is more than fine. They gave him a contract, you know, like a second contract. And I think, to me, every case is going to be different with these teams going forward um, as teams just get better at recognizing all of those different factors and recognizing, you know, where can we find edges and what is our identity? Are we the kind of team where if we have a back who can catch passes, we have an offensive coordinator who can take advantage of that, whether it's like, you know, Atlanta or San Francisco, or I think uh, Detroit, the offensive coordinator is good at that as well. Okay, cool. Let's find that guy, you know? So I, I I think trying to, it's, it's a moment in football where yes, running back contracts will probably never be what they were, And we've discussed kind of why the position is unique and why we are talking about it in a different way from some other positions. But I also think it's a moment where smart teams can figure out how to get more out of special players too. So hopefully we do see more examples like that.
0: Okay, so here's my theory. In 10 years, you know those tweets that are like, for a million dollars, could you get five <laughs> rushing yards yeah. on five carries? That's going to be every running back in the NFL. It's just random guys who went online and said, "Yeah, I can get five yards and five rushing carries," and that's all the running back position is going to be.
1: <laughs> oh man! Well, if uh, you know, if teams total, if the running backs did go on strike, then all of the defenses would just roll. would just pl- play like you know fast and light and then the one team that decided to actually give about running the ball would be dominant and awesome so that's that's why football is great Uh,
0: that is why football is great that is a a strange cycle but mina of course thank you for for indulging me in having a thoughtful conversation about running back value that hopefully was not uh the same conversation that it feels no, like it's interesting it's an interesting time for, right now.
1: for for backs. i really think um i think the picture has got a little bit more complicated over the last year or so
0: yes and hopefully that'll lead towards positives for backs too as opposed to strictly negatives and in people like me just finding you know stats to try and, and poke holes in people i think there's a lot to be gained from running backs um Mina, I I feel dumb asking this because you're everywhere. Please tell the people where they can can find more. Of yeah,
1: we're doing division previews on the Mina Kime show featuring Lenny. Uh, just did the NFC East with Greg Rosenthal, which was a ton of fun. Next week, wow. doing the AFC West.
0: Yeah. Can you can you tease who your guest is going to be for the AFC West?
1: Uh, JP Acosta is, is is doing the AFC
0: nice. West. Nice, wow, <laughs> tremendous. That's very exciting um and of course you're on social media as well
1: yeah, yeah you can follow me there i'm on threads me <laughs> on threads
0: oh no are you actually on threads i have not, I, I yeah have
1: not i've been i keep forgetting to post but yeah i am
0: i i feel really bad i made my friend uh i didn't make my friend my friend offered very nicely to give me a blue sky invite blue like sky. two days before threads lunched yeah just 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 the disdain in your voice please.
1: no no i just I, I just was like god i really hope i don't have to figure this out what if i just my threads account <laughs> was just like insanely like pro rushing takes you know just <laughs> running back to me and i just like leaning into it really
0: i do like the idea of just you having drastically different personalities on different social media networks smart that's just smart you're just ahead of the game
1: i think that's the move is pick different teams to win the divisions (laughs) on different
0: platforms (laughs) mina thank you so much all right thanks so much to my buddy mina kimes for hopping on the show today i hope you guys enjoyed that running back conversation i felt like we should have something um, that was, you know, it felt like addressing that topic and a lot of people are talking about it. Hope you guys felt like we hit the, the conversation in an interesting way. Um, and we have more coming next week, more audio here on the Bill Barnwell show. So thanks so much for listening and more NFL content next week.